Welcome to 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the clock, why don't you turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 10. Well, in last week's episode, we saw another plague and another time where Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has hardened his heart against God. Verse 10, sorry, verse 1, chapter 10 says, Then Yahweh said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. It starts out with Pharaoh hardening his heart, refusing to submit himself to God. Who is Yahweh? Who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? That's what Pharaoh said. There comes a point where God says, fine, that's what you want. That's what I will do. And so God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And God says, you are rebellious to my purposes, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So I will take your rebellion and I will use it for my own plan so that the people of Israel know, may know who is delivering them, so that they can tell their children and grandchildren the God that has called them out of bondage into freedom. I will do these signs. It's interesting to me that the testimony of their forefathers was something that God thought would be enough on its own. If you were born three or four generations after this, you never saw the plagues. You didn't experience the crossing of the Red Sea. Maybe you were born during the 40 years of wilderness wandering. Maybe you were born 20 years after Joshua led the people into the promised land. You had seen none of this. Yet the testimony of their parents and grandparents were to be enough. Some of that has to do with culture. In previous cultures, the reason that honor your father and mother was so important was that the primary means of passing information came through your parents, your grandparents, through the village elders, through those who had gone before you. If somebody was in advanced years, it was because they were strong enough and smart enough to have survived plague and famine, to have survived battle and conflict, to have weathered the elements and the wild beasts and lived. In our day, the youth are not looking to us for wisdom. They can get information on their own. We were talking recently, my my sons and I, and my son asked me a question and I said, I don't know. And he said, well, can't you just Google that? 
because he has never lived in a time where information was not instantly available. And I said, well, you know, I, I could Google that, but it's not worth me taking the time to do so right now, maybe later. But to his mind, information is always available. And there is going to come a day when he will have a question and instead of coming to me, he will just Google it. When did this happen? How does that work? What is my role then as a parent in a culture and a time when the next generation, and I don't just mean little children, but people in their late teens, their 20s. What is our role when the next generation doesn't need us for information? Maybe even our experience is unhelpful to them. With technology changing so rapidly, it's possible that I don't, they don't need me for information. I'm going to need them for information. Can you explain how this works? Can you show me how to apply this technology in my life? What do we do then? I think there's a place for helping them process the information. This last week, my kids were listening to our, our Sunday morning sermon, and I was speaking about miraculous, supernatural things that I've experienced. And they began to ask me about it. I mentioned the prophet Elisha and Elijah and how Elijah did not die. And they asked me about it. And I began to help them process these ideas. Just a suggestion. Now the Lord said, I have hardened his heart so that you will know that I am the Lord. So verse 3, Pharaoh, uh, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Even though God is hardening his heart, there is an indication that he still has free will. He could still choose to repent. How long will you refuse to humble yourself? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. So many locusts that when you look out, that's all you'll see. You won't see dirt. You won't see sand. You won't see rocks. You'll only see the locust. If you've never seen what a swarm, a plague of locusts looks like, uh, I saw just this morning, total coincidence, but I saw that there is a place in the Horn of Africa that is dealing with a locust infestation, and you could barely see the sky. The locusts were so plentiful. Verse 5, They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little is left after the hail, including every tree growing in your field. God had been merciful in the judgment of the hailstorm. There was something left but what was little was left was about to be destroyed tomorrow. They had the chance to repent. They will fill the houses, your houses, those of all your officials, all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land until now. So I would imagine that if you go on YouTube and search for locust swarm or plague of locusts and you see video, what you see will be astounding and it will be nothing compared to what the Egyptians experienced. Verse 7, Pharaoh said to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? 
Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? So the hailstorm was so horrific to their economy that he was seeing collapse and calamity. Then Moses, verse 8, and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go and worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to Yahweh. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you, if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly, you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship Yahweh, since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that the locusts swarm all over the land and devour everything in the fields, everything left by the hail. Pharaoh was about to do the right thing and then at the last minute just wouldn't do it. Knowing what the consequences were for his people, knowing what the consequences were, they have already been suffering the, the, the effects, the consequences of the justice of God on their land. And then he still says no. So verse 13, Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt. And I, you, know, you can understand this is a metaphorical thing. He, he stretched out his staff, and, and I, I don't know if he turned in a full 360 circle or if he stood on some high place, or he stood from the steps of Pharaoh's palace metaphorically, uh, stretching his, his hand over Egypt. Verse 14, sorry, verse 13, he stretched out his hand, and the Lord made the east, east wind blow across the land, and all that day and all that night, and by the morning the wind had brought the locust. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area in, of the country in great numbers. So this wind is blowing, and they would have seen locust infestations before. They would have understood that these bugs travel along the wind. They had this time where they could have repented. They've just seen a hailstorm. They've seen the power of God, and they did not repent in this time. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a large plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruits of the trees. So even the wild, uncultivated produce that they could have scavenged and scrounged during times of famine was eaten and destroyed. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against Yahweh, your God, and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to Yahweh, your God, to take this deadly plague from me. Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to Yahweh, and the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and would not let the Israelites go. Again, again. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spread over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. Could the darkness literally be felt? I, I don't know. 
I don't know if you've ever stood in total darkness before. Up in Washington State, there's a place called Fort Casey. And in Fort Casey, it was an old army base. And there were several of them along the Puget Sound. And they were there as protection, built in World War I, used in World War II as well, in case the Japanese Navy ever decided to attack or invade, if they tried to sail up Puget Sound to invade Seattle, these large guns would come up from their shelters and be able to bombard the invading fleet from all sides. Well, there's a bunker that you can go into there and you can walk down a hallway and it forms a sort of a loop but there comes a place where you're in total darkness and you just keep your hand on the wall and you keep walking forward and eventually it will circle back around into light. That was the first time I experienced total darkness. Totally coincidental, this morning I was watching a video on YouTube. There are flood tunnels under several major cities. Tokyo has them. Las Vegas has them because if you're in the desert... Desert areas are prone to flash flooding. So during the winter, when the, when the little bit of rain that falls on Las Vegas falls, you could, to avert any sort of flash flood along the Vegas Strip, there are these large flood tunnels underground. And the video showed that there are people that live down there. There, there are usually... Um, people with addiction issues and under bondage of, of drugs. And, um, but they went down into these tunnels and they were talking with people down there. And the flashlights they had barely, barely illuminated anything. It was, even just watching it on my phone, it felt like soul-crushing darkness. Was it a metaphor? Or was the darkness being supernatural? Was the darkness something that could be tangibly felt as well? Who knows? But it was something that was experienced by the people. You know, I said, there's a game of Would You Rather on, on the last episode. I said, uh, with the plague of boils, that's the one I would want to avoid at all costs. And I still stand by that. But I could understand somebody else saying, no, this is the one I wouldn't want to be in soul-crushing darkness, to be in tangible, complete darkness, to not be able to see the sun, to, to sit there. Maybe you can't eat because you can't, you can't find the food. Maybe you've soiled yourself because you just have given up on even trying to find the, the outhouse. You don't want to wander out. Who knows what horrible things were happening in that darkness? Yet the Israelites had light in all the places they lived. It's interesting, if you were an Egyptian that lived in proximity to the Israelites, apparently you were spared this judgment. I do believe that the church has a positive effect. History usually highlights the negative things that have happened in the name of Christianity. The Spanish Inquisition comes to mind, the Crusades come to mind. And I, I will grant you, you're, you're not going to find me defending the institutional church or what I sometimes refer to as religious Christianity. 
Yet where the church has gone, the rights of women, freedom, education, for all the bad things that have happened, there has been plenty of good. I, I do believe that where true Christian faith flourishes, there is blessing in society. You can look up for yourself the Welsh revivals. 1910, 1911, I believe, were the years where the life change from Jesus getting a hold of people's lives and people responding to Jesus was so intense that the crime rate went down so much that they had to lay off police officers. They didn't need them. There's no crime. Bars closed. This isn't a statement on alcohol, but it is a statement on substance abuse. People were giving up the bondages of addiction and alcoholism because of the work of God in their lives. And there was a blessing. Verse 24, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. So every time Pharaoh gets a little closer, first he said, No, only the men can go. And now he says, All the people can go, but you have to leave your possessions. But Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings in the presence of Yahweh our God. Our livestock must go with us. Not one hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worship of the Lord our God. Until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship Yahweh. But Yahweh had hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was still not willing to let them go. So Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure that you do not appear before me again. The day that you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, I will never appear before you again. God has put messengers in our lives. Moses was God's messenger to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians, and he would not listen. Some of them did. We saw that with the plague of hail. Some of the Egyptians had begun to believe. We're actually going to see in a next episode, or I believe it's actually more likely two episodes from now, we're going to see that some of the Egyptians willingly went with God's people when they are finally delivered because they have recognized the truth of God. God has placed messengers in your life. They may not literally be named Moses, but God has placed messengers. I have found that God speaks frequently through my wife. God will speak through godly men and women. God will speak as I read his word. God will speak to me as I pray. God will speak to me as I worship. But if I ignore the messengers, I do so at my own peril. There have been times where I have consistently been getting a message from the Lord and I can either act and respond to it, or I can continue to go about my own business, and it will lead to heartache, because wherever I have not followed Jesus, I have regretted it. Who has God put in your life, and are you listening to the message God is sending them? Well, I don't know if God speaks to me. Have you, are you a student of the Word of God? Are you a woman? Are you a man powerful in prayer? Are you somebody who worships the Lord? Scripture says, I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate day and night. The Scripture says, how glad I was when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
For better is one day in the courts of our God than a thousand elsewhere. God's putting people and speaking into our lives. I hope that we respond and that we listen. I want to say thank you for joining us again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study Podcast. If this has been a blessing to you, if it is speaking into your life, let us know. You can email me, Adam, at Faith on Hill. You can follow us at Faith on Hill on all social media, faithonhill.com. Our Sunday gatherings are uploaded and premiere every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. New episodes of this podcast release on Thursdays. My name is Adam. I want to say thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.